sisters, listen closely. Finding out he's the one can sometimes feel like traveling through a desert of uncertainty. I mean, every time you feel like you've reached an oasis, it ends up being a mirage. As your resident sister and friend, here are five common red flags that you need to steer clear away from. First up, if he's asking for your phone number straight off the bat, but not your dad's, well, that's a major red flag waving in your face. Next, if he's hitting you up with texts and calls late at night, you better believe he's not serious and chances are he won't respect your boundaries. Watch out for those put down disguised as sarcastic banters. You know, the ones that make you the butt of the joke. It's time to show him the door. And oh, if he's more interested in hearing himself talk than listening to what you have to say, girl, that's a sign you need to run in the opposite direction. And let's not forget the classic line, my ex was crazy. Yeah, right. If he's mouth-mouthing his ex left and right, chances are he's the one with the issues. And those are just the obvious red flags. Let's help you uncover what's really hiding underneath the surface with Vibe Check, the ultimate prompt card game for meaningful connections. Crafted with deep respect for Islamic traditions, Vitech goes beyond the surface, allowing you to discover the essence of your potential life partner's faith, character, and aspirations. With eight thoughtfully crafted categories and 135 thought-provoking questions, Vitech ensures a comprehensive understanding of your potential spouse, from values and ambitions to personal quirks and preferences. I mean, skip the surface-level discussions and dive straight into what truly matters. Visit our website, www.thedigitalstory.com now and take the first step towards finding your righteous partner. Your journey to marital bliss begins here. So back in 2012, I spent every waking hour at the masjid. I mean, I spent days, weeks, weekends, morning, afternoon, night. So much so, my mother was pissed. She was pissed because who spends every hour and every moment at the masjid? More than they do at home. More even more than I even did at school. But I was so hooked on learning my religion. And because I didn't know much, right, I knew I needed this environment. I knew I needed the people in the masjid to teach me something. And because I was also very shy and I knew I didn't want to just ask somebody to be my teacher, I relied on the environment and the people in there that had, you know, something to tell me or they were just practicing their religion. And I was just studying that, that practice. I remember the moment I met Hilal. She had this bubbly aura. She was very inviting. She walked in. She seemed like she knew everyone there. And it's interesting because I knew everyone that came in and came out of that masjid. I remember people used to even call me a welcome doormat, actually, uh, because people always found me at the front of the masjid welcoming people in. <laughs> and what stood out about me about her was that she was smiling. She was talking to everyone, walking around. Salam- like she knew every being in that room. But I've never seen her before. I, she gave me this impression that she too belonged here, even if I didn't recognize her. And I, and I admired that about her. I think for, for a long time, I was kind of intimidated by my environment. I almost felt um, excluded. And she came in here and knew 
and was, you know, comfortable. And then I wondered to myself, I wonder what her story is. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. My name is Hilal. I'm a 26-year-old Toronto girl uh, living her life. Um, and um, I'm a plant lover, tea lover, and I like taking h- hikes. I'm a nature lover, and I am a student of life. I really believe before 18, I was just living life, just on the vibe. Just came out of high school. Confused, I could say. I remember um, I really wanted to be a gynecologist. <laughs> And a lot of people didn't know this. I I'm, I really loved, you know, babies. <laughs> Growing up in Toronto, you know, born and raised in Dixon. The life that I, I grew up in was, I wouldn't say difficult. Alhamdulillah, I came from a very good family, very good parents, um, raised in a very dominant Somali community. But surprisingly, um, Islam was never really a part of my, you know, uh, growing up, you could say. Um my family, you know, was very strict on terms of your studies, your secular studies, having good morals. But this whole thing of practicing, praying, wearing hijab, it was so foreign to me. So Hilal in grade seven, just as most middle schoolers at the time, started to act out. She started hanging out with the wrong crowd, coming home late, talking back. Just what people her age are doing. Her parents were really concerned because she wasn't taking school seriously. She had a bad attitude, and they were worried about the kind of woman she was going to become. So we thought, it's time to send Hill all the way. Or not away, but it's time for Hillal to move. You're probably thinking, oh, they, what did they send her? To Africa? Kenya, maybe? Somalia? Mozambique? Nah, they sent Hillal to Brampton, a suburban area. Honestly, Brampton was a culture shock for me. Imagine going from Somalis, <laughs> a dominant... Somali community to moving to only having like two Somali people in your whole in your whole neighborhood. Everybody else was so diverse in different cultures and different religions. Um, I never had a practicing friend when I moved to or somebody who was practicing Islam when I moved to Brampton. Most of my friends um, that I was with when I moved to Brampton were either atheists, you know, Catholics. I remember we li- lived across a masjid in Brampton. And I remember I would see people walking there on a Friday. And I remember coming back from school at 3 p.m. And you know how the Jum'ah sometimes has two khutbas. And I would see people walking with hijab and, and the, the men with the khamis and their children. And I would be like, I went home and I was like, you know, Dad, what is this? And he was like, oh, this is where people go on Fridays to pray as Muslims. We should, this is what we do. And I remember I would, I would be fascinated, but it was a thought. Everyone has a moment in his or her life. That changes everything. The moment may be good, bad, big, small, scary, or calming. It could be the birth of a child, the death of a father, death of a marriage. Any moment can become a life-changing moment. Hilal had one of those moments. I remember this day like it was yesterday. SubhanAllah. You know, some days you don't remember. It's, you know, so, it was so long ago. But that day was so vivid, Adar. I felt like it happened yesterday. Um... I remember, you know, a couple of us coming back from downtown. You know what friends do? Just chill, go eat, enjoy life. And I remember um, Twitter, going on Twitter. You know, Twitter back then was was different than Twitter now. And I remember seeing everybody tweeting about someone passing away. My phone pass- My phone died. I remember that. My phone died. And a friend in the car was like, we have to go to our friend's house. And I was like, Why? Well, I'm supposed to be going home. I was confused. 
And I remember Adar reaching my friend's house and seeing cars parked outside, seeing everybody in the house. And I remember thinking, what's going on? And when I got to the house, it was informed that she passed away. And she was uh, she was actually um, the younger sister of my friend. So I was, I was closer to her sister. And um, I remember being so confused, Adar, because I'd just seen her the week prior to that. And it was the first person that I knew that passed away at a young age. Um, death to me uh, wasn't something new. As I, my grandfather, Allah Yarham, who passed away. And I've had family members who were elderly that passed away. But I've never had somebody who was young, you know, who was healthy, who was living life just like me, you know, and and passed away so suddenly. I remember sitting in my friend's house and everybody's just crying. Adar, you know, sad that she passed away. But I was not only sad and, and, and feeling pain of her passing, but confused. I remember sitting in that house and um, feeling fear. Like, okay, this life is really going to end. Death wasn't new to Hillel. Her grandfather had passed away when she was a little girl. Except then she didn't have to pray or know what to do. But this time, as an adult, Hillel was expected to know how to pray. She was expected to know how to pray for her friend. But she didn't know how. There was an auntie that was praying beside me. And I remember I said to her, so how do I pray this? And she looked at me so confused, Adar. Like, she was so shocked I was asking her that question. She was like, Habir, you don't know how to pray the Janaza prayer. And she's like, is this your friend? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, okay, at least just say Allahu Akbar and just make dua for her, she told me. Just make prayer for her. Inshallah, Allah will accept it. So I, just, I did that. I just went to prayer and I just copied what everybody else was doing. And I remember staying in the Masjid Adar until Isha that night. Till the night. I couldn't even move. Because I was like, I don't even know how to pray. I'm, I call myself Muslim, but I can't even pray for my friend the correct way. Going home, I, I remember sleepless nights Adar. And my first encounter with anxiety. So prior to this, I never had any type of symptom of anxiety or like I would get stressed normally. But it was just normal. I would just deal with stress and just live my life. But I remember I couldn't sleep either. I remember fearing that I would die in my sleep. I remember um, I would sometimes feel like I would be choking like in my sleep. I remember sometimes I couldn't breathe and I would go to the hospital and be like to my mom, like, you know, please, I need to go to the hospital. I'm not feeling well. I feel like I'm passing away. Literally, Adar, I know this sounds crazy, but it was so scary. And I remember the doctors telling me, you're fine. You just have anxiety. And uh, my parents were shocked because they never knew that I that this would affect me so greatly. And I remember there was nights out that I didn't leave my room, didn't eat food, just sitting in my thoughts, just thinking to myself, what to do next? And I remember going on Google. Sheikh Google is my friend. <laughs> Sheikh Google played a great play part in in helping me, but I remember Adar Subhanallah typing what to do if you fear death in Islam. I remember typing that. Have you ever felt like you couldn't ask anybody anything and so instead you go to Google? 
I know people do this every time they get a symptom that they, they don't know until they think, Google, am I dying from cancer? Right? It's always the wrong thing to do. They always tell you, do not Google. But at this time, Google for Hillel was not just for answers, but for guidance. Google became Shilk Google. Sometimes it's just easier to ask Google. Google doesn't have judgment. He doesn't shame you. He doesn't belittle you, right? You could ask your question and go. But the people in our community is that they come with these preconceived notions that someone at your adult age who doesn't know there's something wrong with them. They're ignorant. They're irresponsible. They're bad. And that the only person that could be without knowledge is a child or a revert. I was too scared to ask anyone because I was scared that I would get the same reaction that auntie gave me in the masjid. So I, I Google really helped me. I remember saying, you know, you have to pray your five salawats. And I was like, five prayers a day? Okay. What is it? What are they called? I didn't even know how to start the prayer. I didn't even know if you had to do something before the prayer, which was nawadu that we know. And then telling, you know, and then I started Googling other things like, okay, is hijab compulsory for women? I didn't even know that. So I remember Googling and, and Islam community again. You know, yes, the Muslim woman is, you know, told by Allah Taala to cover herself. So then now I went and Googled how to cover yourself as a Muslim woman. It was literally other. <laughs> I, I had my little uh, Harvard library in my room, just going through it, different different sites, just figuring out what to do next. And then I said to myself, okay, first step, prayer. Cause that's what I, that's what the link told me. So I went and started to learn how to pray. Then it was, and then the next thing was like, oh, make sure you go to the, the places of worship. So I remember going to my father and Wallahi, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless my father. He, he was so supportive Adar. I remember going to him feeling scared and, and I'll tell him, please, can you take me to the masjid? Shilk Google told Hilal that she needed to go to the places of worship. She needed to go to the masjid. And so Hilal did, even if that meant lying. Hilal had night school in Toronto, and she lived in Brampton. Now, if anybody knows where Brampton is, it's a city outside of Toronto. It's kind of a little bit of a travel. And I remember <laughs> telling my dad, um, you know, can you drop me off uh, to night school? And he would be like, yeah, sure. So he would drop me and then go back to work. And I remember I would leave night school to go to the masjid. And my parents never knew. <laughs> I remember like a little sneaking. I was sneaking out every single day out there. I would literally, I was supposed to be in class, but you catch me at Khalbouni. Both it up. And I remember I would wait till their car leaves. And then I would wear the hijab and I would keep the skirt and stuff in my bag because, you know, I was scared that my parents would like, I knew they wouldn't be angry with me, but I was scared that the change would be too quick for them. Yeah, because at the time, do you remember it was like a whole thing about, you know, kids being... Shipped over. Shipped over. Yeah. Um, manipulated online. Exactly. You know, all that stuff. Um, extremism, all that stuff. So our parents were worried that's what was happening to us on, through the internet. And my parents are very educated out there. You know, they're they're not the type of Somali parents that don't know English. Mm-hmm. My dad was born and raised in Somalia, but grew up in a boarding school in Germany. You know, mm. he went to the best schools. Very educated man. You couldn't blame my father. So I remember I would be hiding from them because um, I know school to them was so serious. And already me having to upgrade my credits was already already enough pressure on them. So I remember I would go. 
hide it from them, walk to the masjid, stay there until like maybe like Isha time, and then run back to night school in the front so they no, can pick me up. Yep. No, you did it. Yep. And I remember walking. You know that walk from Tim Hortons. That that the, the, that, the call that we call the walk of shame. Yeah, because Abdinur was right there. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. At the old the old Abdinur, I used to go there. So I remember I used to hide, come back, wait for them in the parking lot of Abdinur, and they would think I was there the whole day. <laughs> The school never said your child wasn't here the entire time. They ne- they never called. I don't know, subhanAllah, maybe it was Allah subhanAllah. Of course it was Allah subhanAllah, yeah. but I remember coming to the car. How's school? Alhamdulillah. <laughs> you know, I prayed today. Yeah. Normal conversation. Yeah. Okay, did you do your homework? Yeah. Just, and in my stomach, I'm like, oh my God, I hope they don't find out. Mm-hmm. But I needed to do it, Adar. I needed because I felt so sick. And then this fear was just overtaking me. And the time that I was sitting in the masjid, I would feel so much peace. So much peace. I would go there, honestly, Adar, because I loved the recitation of the Qur'an. You know, I never really grew up l- listening to the Qur'an. So when I, when I went to the masjid and hearing the sheikh leading the salah, I didn't know what he was saying. I just knew it sounded nice. And, I, and wh- when I would hear it, I would feel good. I would feel peace in the heart. So that, that feeling made me keep coming back over and over and over again. The fear that I would feel in the house and, and, and outside, it was taking the minute I would come into the masjid. So I felt like it was a safe place. And the reason why I wanted to keep going back there, because I thought it was my cure. I was like, if I stay here, I don't feel the pain. I don't feel the anxiety. So I need to stay here. So when I would go to the masjid, you know, um, some people would come and read the Quran in the masala. Um, people would be praying and I, I remember opening the Mus'haf and seeing the Arabic and I was like, whoa, this is interesting. Like, it's new to me. And I remember I would go, Sheikh Google again, <laughs> Professor Google, and I would be like, okay, how do you learn the Arabic language? And I'll go on the YouTube and it would be like, okay, you have to start with the Alif, the Ba, and I would like look for these words in the Quran. So I would spend like hours there just looking for the Alif and the Ba and the Ta because I couldn't read. And I remember thinking to myself, I want to learn this book. I remember being in the Salah and, you know, when the Sheikh recites Surah Fatiha, I would try to recite with him every day to hopefully start memorizing it day by day. So the person leading Salah was your teacher? Was my teacher. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually dead. And I remember the people praying, you know how after the Sheikh says the Fatiha, everybody says after and I would be quiet. Wow. I would hear it under like everyone's breath. And I couldn't do it. I was like, oh, yeah. I need to, I, like, how come I can't do this? And it started becoming more from like just being happy being there to frustration. Mm. Frustration. I remember every day listening to the Quran saying, this feels so good. How do I learn this book? How do I learn these words? They're so beautiful. And that's when I finally said, no, I need to learn this. I need to find a teacher. So in the masjid is where I asked somebody, hey, I know um, the sheikh that recites, and I wanted him. Because he taught me Fatiha already like three verses. <laughs> Might as well continue. <laughs> Stick so, to your teacher. <laughs> and I remember saying, I want him. I want exactly him. Adar. Who was the sheikh, though? It was Ma'ala Muhammad. Allah. Allah. And Allah SWT bless him. Amin, Allah, Amin. He played a great role in my, my journey to the Quran. He's a beautiful reciter. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. May Allah SWT protect him. Hilal tries to read the Quran by herself. Arabic was hard. It's confusing. 
but she thought it was beautiful. So she sought out to find a teacher. She went out and found a sister at the masjid that knew Ma'al Muhammad. And she said, hey, I can take you there. So she takes her all the way upstairs, second floor. And she says, this is his classroom. Adar, I thought the class would be, you know, elders or mixed group of age, you know. I come in, no one's older than 12. <laughs> My and then I thought I walked into a kindergarten class. SubhanAllah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember coming in and I'm thinking, sis, do you see me? And Because she, she was in another class, yeah. but I wanted him, right? So she's like, you wanted him. So he's the teacher for the kids. I'm thinking, oh, okay. She, and then she just left me. At this point, she thought, this girl's asking too much questions. Let me leave her. So I remember looking in the classroom. He's sitting in the front. The kids are coming one by one with their kitabs or their their books, and I remember feeling like, oh my god, I have to walk in front of these all these children. So nervous. I never ever was scared of children prior to this. <laughs> <laughs> it was an intimidating atmosphere. So intimidating. They were reading so loud. I remember them just reading the Quran so loud. And I'm thinking, there's a six year old that can recite the Quran and I can't. Mm. This is so embarrassing. You know, kids are very straight. They don't hide. You know, they're so innocent. Some of them will come to me and be like, how old are you? Are you not like 30, 40 year old? Like, so why are you learning it now? Like, <laughs> and Mahal Muhammad, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevate his ranks. He honestly motivated me every single day whenever I would come to him and be like, okay, so can I come another time when the kids are not here? And he would tell me, it's through this experience that you will learn how to be a good student of the Quran. Because the Quran it demands humbleness. It demands you to lower yourself for it. So if you're able to learn in a class full of children, you will, able, you will be able to conquer anything. Hilal decides to commit to learning the book of Allah. Her commitment to learn was bigger than the humiliation of being in a classroom full of kids. She knew that she needed to get over this hump if she was serious. But Hilal didn't know anybody outside of that classroom. Right? She didn't know the friend groups. You know, She didn't know the cliques. She didn't know anything outside the masjid besides her class. And she didn't really necessarily fit the stereotypical type of a religious person. I'm just naturally bubbly. I just, I'm just, as you said, like I just, I'll, I'll really speak to the stranger on the street. That's how, how I was as a kid even. My parents used to be so scared to just take me out sometimes because they might lose me. <laughs> but the practicing model at the time was introverted. Introverted quiet mm -hmm. being that was modesty yeah it's small uh, nobody knew you no one knew you wore black yeah um uh, had very small group of friends right? very small and yeah. and also not somebody who was very open yeah because i would come be like alaikum. Yeah. how are you and they would look at me like who is this girl is she not get the motive yeah of how this message works yeah or not even the message of the culture <laughs> yeah the practicing it was everywhere culture. it was a practicing culture at the time um there was a way to do it yeah, exactly. you know what i'm saying and exactly. and it was hard because we all come in different personalities yeah. and 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 i'll say this you know that was my favorite thing about you <laughs> that is that you had personality that you were funny you know but i know that you felt that 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 the the, the push to be molded into a way yeah you know because i felt that i felt that way right yeah um many people you know criticized like um, how I would, you know, do things and stuff like that. And even though they were completely okay, it just wasn't the archetype. 
And and I remember when I saw you, that's why you reminded me of me. I was like, oh my gosh, you're just like me. That's why I liked you yeah. too. Because I, I remember like, seeing you and I was like, this girl's so cool. <laughs> yeah, we, I'm not the only one that talks here. <laughs> <laughs> or like, it's just open and friendly. And yeah. like, and that's just who we are. And there's nothing wrong with, again, being introverted. or There's nothing wrong. The only yeah. issue is when that's your singular archetype. Exactly. And then you exactly. disinclude everybody else, right? Exactly. That was the only issue. And that's what I loved about you because I would come to the mission and see you too and you would salami mm-hmm. and you would be so bubbly yourself. <laughs> and I remember, I remember, wallahi, um, there was times that I didn't want to come to the mission because I would feel so uncomfortable mm-hmm. because I felt like I didn't, I didn't fit in. Mm-hmm. But this is why I had to mention these sisters because they would bring me. Yeah. They would stay with me. Yeah. They would, you know, never criticize my character, mm-hmm. you know, especially these two. Mm-hmm. I remember um, when nobody wanted to, like, guess be the cool kid, you yeah. know. They would come in and be like, don't worry, you can come out and eat with us. Yeah. You can come chill with us. Yeah. And I was the underdog. Yeah. Literally just coming in as the underdog. You were absolutely the underdog. Because these sisters were here for years. Mm-hmm. You know, I was always intimidated by the older sisters. Not saying that they weren't nice or anything, but it was just hard to approach them. Because I felt like my personality sometimes was overbearing. And I was scared that they might like not want to be around me. And I remember I started changing my personality. Because I really wanted to be in the practicing community. I, I I really wanted to be with sisters that reminded me of Allah. I wanted to fit. You wanted, I wanted to, fit. to fit in, mm-hmm. and I didn't know that I could have personality. Mm-hmm. I thought that once you start practicing, you gotta be the part of the dry. Yeah, dry. No seasoning on the food. <laughs> <laughs> You're lucky if you get salt and pepper. <laughs> Wallahi, literally. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because it was was that's what was cool back then. It was. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and I, I felt those pressures. Like when mm-hmm. you talk, you really are speaking to me because I remember thinking like, oh my God, can I fit in this community? <laughs> I feel like I stand out. You I'm know? like, I love Allah. Yeah. I want to be here. Yeah. But like, can I fit here? Yeah. But then Alhamdulillah, having those sisters that were patient with me because they understood that I never really knew Islam. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they would invite me to their house. Well, I have that. Subhanallah. Yeah. Yeah. They would some, sometimes have sleepovers with me. You know, take their time out of their life to to teach me things about Islam. Some of them will teach me the atayat of the prayer. Mm-hmm. Some of them will teach me how, what to say, how much different salahs. Like, even though Sheikh Google was my first teacher, mm-hmm. they played a role in, like, refining the knowledge mm-hmm. I, I, I learned from Sheikh Google. Yeah. So I want to say, may Allah bless those sisters. I mean. They get a great edge for where I, I, mean, where I am today, subhanAllah. They were sisterly. They were, that's, what it's, that's the power of sisterhood, right? Exactly. Um, when you treat them how you want to be treated. Right, and that's what they did. Me, I love and not judge you, you know. No, and and be patient with you. And you can't. And that's the thing that the message cannot be a place of judgment. People come from all walks of life, from all different backgrounds, from all different starting points, and all levels of iman. Right, and um, and when people um change that narrative is when it becomes extremely problematic, right? Because imagine somebody comes in, and then thinks, oh, because they're so late in the game, they don't belong, and they maybe should just stop, right? And I'm glad there were sisters there because there were sisters there for me too. Because exactly. I had a similar. I remember your group. Yeah, <laughs> I remember a similar experience, and they were very welcoming to me as well. And um, and I had a sister that would talk to me privately about because she knew the depths of how much I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So she would explain to me the words like Jazakallah khair, mm-hmm. Barakallah fi. Like I didn't know those words, and yeah. she would teach me the etiquettes of like responding when somebody sneezes. Mm-hmm. You know, du'as are really important um, when you're walking in. The masjid and all that. so and it was nice because it was a private affair um and and in some ways she shaded me from being judged by people who didn't have the co- capabilities of being compassionate mm-hmm. you know there are people that don't have the capabilities um to interact or to deal with people who are new 
Mm-hmm. You know, and some people are like really good at it and they're like mentors and teachers and, you know, and they and understand. They're so the important nuance. for our community. They are extremely so important. important, you yeah. know, and I think all of us should aspire as women, especially to have that kind of uh, relationship and, and that kind of capa- capacity to be, you know, like a teacher, because all of us are teachers in some place in our lives. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep. And shout out to those sisters. Yeah, may Allah bless them. I mean, two years had passed and Hilal finally mastered reading from the kitab. It was when I finished learning how to read it. And I remember the day that I finished the book, uh, that I, it was bigger than my gra- any graduation I've ever been to in my life. It was the greatest accomplishment in my life. And it looks so small in a sense where it's like, this is usually what kids do, you know, at a younger age. But to me, it was so great, Adar. Because I was finally able to open the Quran and read it. And I remember um, the day we finished, Mahal Muhammad was like, okay, now it's time to start with the Mus'haf. And it was, that was the Mus'haf. The first Mus'haf I opened and got me frustrated is now the one I'm going to go back to and find joy in. That's the moment I said, you know what? I think this is my calling. I think my calling is to learn the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I I was so slow at reading in the beginning. You know, when you first finish the book, the learning the Arabic reading book, it's it, you're quite slow still. You you know the letters, but you don't know how to connect it very well. So I would say for another maybe seven eight months, I was just spending other on knowing how to read. And I remember one eye would take me forty five minutes sometimes, because I would make a mistake and have to go back, and. It was it was it was frustrating sometimes, but then when I would get it, it was it was happiness, and it was at that moment I said, "No, I need to perfect and I need to learn this book." But things took a turn. Unfortunately, Ma'alim Muhammad had told her the news that he'd be going to Hajj and that he'd also be going to Somalia, and that she, he would have to pause her studies. Hilal wasn't at the stage of her studies where she could learn alone. Hilal knew she needed a teacher, but then Hilal found a flyer. That said, there was a Qatar party at this masjid called Dara Hikmah to celebrate the students that had officially finished the Qur'an. I remember there was flyers being passed around about a, a, a Qur'an khatam party in the masjid. And it was going to be held at IMO and the place was called Dara Hikmah. And it was like a nice flyer and it had the names of the students that finished the Qur'an. And I was like, whoa, I need to go to this. This, is, this seems cool. So I remember um, the week Muhammad left, it was the week that that was happening. SubhanAllah, that I remember when he left, I made dua. I said, oh Allah, I want to continue learning your book. Please make a way for me. And then I seen that flyer for the khatam party. Right? Um, and I went, I didn't know anybody. <laughs> I knew some of the sisters I met in the masjid from Khalid, but I didn't know any of the, like, the Dara Hikmah sisters. And Adar, that was the most amazing experience ever. I've ever been through. People used to go to the Qatam party just to be inspired. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you saw all these these kids who had this incredible recitation and um and, and just Good to tweet was yeah. fire and they fire. were they were just savage. Like they were like he looked like he was preparing these kids for the Olympics. <laughs> but the Quran version. And some of us know. would come to the Qatar party with no no business being there, okay? Mm. Um with a different duxi we used to go to at wherever we went to mm-hmm. and we were like okay I'm gonna go to the Qatar party to get motivated to finish the Quran like people mm-hmm. would come just to get like you know how you would go to your favorite YouTube video 
the yeah. merciful servant to get that iman boost yeah people used to go to uh, people used to go to hikmah to get that quran finish boost exactly. yo you're gonna finish this like you would exactly. go to khatam wallah i remember you went to the khatam one time yeah bro i met i met surajin yeah okay <laughs> i went to the khatam party why was i trying to memorize surah maryam i said maybe forget the maryam <laughs> I went to the con. I said, let me go to the con. <laughs> no, I even thought about, let me start from Baqara. <laughs> you know, some people start from Baqara or some people start from Nas. Yeah, I was yeah, from Nas. Yeah. Um, I said, let me go to Baqara. Yo, what is this? I need yeah. to go to Baqara. These, like, these people are doing, you know what I mean? They're at a different level. You just felt like you, 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 could, you can and you will. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's what the vibes were. Mm-hmm. You know, and there were parents and they were proud of their kids. Exactly. Like they, they put them at that gymnastic class that was going to take it to the Olympics. They dropped them off in there. And they're like, they're, you know, parents are so competitive. Like my kids go come out of here a champion. Yeah. Wallahi, the day of the Qatar party, parents stood up like they were waiting a national anthem. Yes. Yeah, looking at their kids saying, yep. That's yep, my child. That's my child. Yep. You know, and the kids had that kind of fire. And then you saw, you see, you see Shil nodding his head. You know, acting like it was a regular Wednesday. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I remember that. And you yeah. came to the Khatan party and you said, I have to join this Duxi. This yeah. needs to be me. I, I, I'm like, what is this place? I remember walking in, everybody wearing black chirbabs. The students wearing, the, the girls wearing brown chirbabs. They had name tags. It was so organized out there. I remember seeing the sheikh with the big imam, imamat, you know, the, the, with, the, with the Saudi style, sitting there. And I remember his presence just would put, like, who is he? Like, I remember looking at him and thinking, who is this sheikh? And what are these students? And hearing them recite the Quran and how good they were, Adar. Subhanallah, I remember thinking, yeah, no, I need, see, this is what I need to be. <laughs> I, I've, I've learned how to read, but I'm not at this level yet. So now that I, I've passed the other level, I need to get to this level now. Hilal was persistent in joining this duxi, this madrasa. And she knew that she had to prove herself. And she was like, you know, you have to be patient because he might not respond to you. And I remember thinking, so what do I do? She's like, just come. Just come. Just show up. Say you're interested and wait. And I'm thinking, okay. I've, you know, Mahal Muhammad, he's trained me to be patient. He's put me through some tests. I can handle this. I did not know what was in store for me. <laughs> God bless Mahal Muhammad because he was... He was way, I'm not going to say that my sheikh is strict. I don't like to compare my teachers because they teach in different ways. But in regards to like testing you and testing your patience, I have never been tested like this. Other, I remember coming to the masjid and asking for him. And he said, yeah, okay, I'll come to Atar to wait. And I would wait to Aisha. And I remember my dad was so frustrated because he was waiting outside for me. <laughs> He was like, what's going on? Like, you've been here the whole day. And then he told me, come back tomorrow. I'll see you tomorrow, you know? And there's a door that connects the brother and sister's place. So I would knock every salon and be like, the sheikh's busy. The sheikh is speaking to somebody. The sheikh will be with you soon. And it was like one day passed. Two days passed. Three days passed. And then it, it wasn't only for Fajr to Aisha. The weekday was like, okay, come at Duhur. Okay, come at Asr. Different times out there. Nothing stagnant. It was just, come this time, and then he wouldn't see you. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, maybe this is not written for me. So I remember going in the car, my, and my dad, may Allah bless him, would come from work out there and pick me up after Isha. 
and I'll come in the car and be like, okay, so did you see him today? <laughs> I'll be like, no, Abu, I didn't see him today. And my dad got fed up one day. He said, you've been waiting for how many weeks now? My dad got out the car and went inside. And he said, I'm going to speak to him for you. And I said, Abu, no, you're going to ruin my chance. I remember thinking, what if you see something that's wrong? He said, listen, this is a slave of Allah. Why are we scared of him? <laughs> he got up. He went into the masjid. And he said, I'll speak to him. And when he went to him, I just remember my dad coming back and saying, y you have an interview tomorrow. And I was like, really? And I was like, but what if he's going to test me again, you know? Because he, he told me to come back. But I was like, no, no, this is confirmed. So I came the next morning. It was a weekend Quran class again. And he finally seen me. Alhamdulillah. I remember when he tested me, he literally looked at me. He said, you're studying right from the bottom. And... I remember um, he would teach me personally, and then he also gave me some of his teachers. So some some habibis, mashallah, that were teachers there that helped me too. Um, and a year and a half other, I remember Surah Fatiha struggled. And I remember he was like, you can't listen to nobody but Khalil al-Husri. You know, and he was like, nobody else. So every day I would come home listening to the same verses, trying to memorize it. Um, Just to... It, uh, give some preface you know hikmah is very serious um i heard people were in surah fatiha for six months, months. Yeah. six months yeah you know like he was very serious about the pronunciation the under he was very serious about all of its mechanics in order to read it properly exactly and given it haq. and you spent you know how many years without hikmah i would say three three years yeah yeah three years three years you were going ham you spent there, you would put in hours, you came in Fajr, you would leave it at Isha. That was your school. Literally. Yeah. I, I, and you know what's so funny was that I, I had to like talk to my parents. Because I remember I was going to night school and then they were thinking like, okay, so you've been skipping now, they've realized. Yeah. Now you're starting to go to this Quran school. And I remember sitting with my parents and saying, I want to take time off school. And I mm. just want to learn the Quran. Mm. And I remember being so scared, like, are they going to support me? And alhamdulillah, it was then that they finally decided, you know what, um, if this is what she want to do, we'll support her. You know, yeah. alhamdulillah, I made a lot of dua and they, they Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened their hearts to accepting me going to the madrasa. Um, and then I had to leave hikmah because of the fact that my grandma moved in with me. And I couldn't handle the hikmah times. So I joined the duksi with you, uh, with our, our stad, the Ma'ala Aisha. And... Uh, I remember I started memorizing with her, and mashallah, she got me pretty far. She, I, I think I memorized ten juz with her, um, and yeah, and then I got married in two thousand seventeen, and life changed. <laughs> تحيتهم فيها سلام ألم تر كيف ضرب الله مثلا كلمة طيبة كشجرة طيبة أصلها ثابت وفرعها, وفرعها في السماء تؤتي أكلا كل حين بإذن ربها ويضرب الله الأمثال للناس لعلهم, لعلهم يتذكرون ومثل كلمة خبيثة كشجرة خبيثة اجتثت من فوق الأرض ما لها من 
القرار يثبت الله الذين آمنوا بالقول الثابت في الحياة الدنيا وفي الآخرة ويضل الله الظالمين ويفعل الله ما يشاء الله أكبر That recitation was Ma'alim Muhammad. His recitation is always so nostalgic and so powerful. MashaAllah, tabarakallah. This episode is brought to you by Beautiful Light Studios. I also like to thank the sponsors that donated to this episode. Thank you also very much. Uh, without this, it wouldn't be possible. I also like to thank everybody that uh, made this possible, including our sound engineer, Jonathan. <laughs> Um, he's dove and he gets a shout out because he's been actually extremely, extremely patient, especially for this episode. In the next episode, Hilal tells us about her new chapter called Marriage, which eventually ended up in divorce and how the Quran played a pivotal role in getting her through it.